Hi there and welcome. This is Amanda, the founder of Astrology Hub, and you're listening to our week ahead snapshot with world-class astrologer, historian, and author of the Cosmic Calendar, Christopher Renstrom. This show is designed to give you a quick overview of the week ahead, enabling you the gift of choice in how you navigate and weave these energies into your daily life. Enjoy. Hello, my name is Christopher Renstrom, and I'm your weekly horoscope columnist here on Astrology Hub. And this week, I wanted to talk to you about Neptune coming out of retrograde on December 1st. Now, I have a confession to make. As an astrologer, I used to find Neptune one of the most difficult planets to try to interpret in a client's chart. I mean, if you go and you look at the astrology books, it's always um, connected to drug addiction and alcoholism, or it's mysticism and the occult. There's a kind of spacey, almost like trippy feeling to it. And indeed, for a number of years, when I would try to interpret Neptune to a client, I would start using this kind of like ambivalent, ambiguous, generalized language, you know, and, and, and I would be like, well, you know, it's kind of like about illusions. And the client was like, yeah, and altered states. Mm-hmm. And just sort of becoming one with the universe. Yeah, yeah. And neither of us having any idea of what the hell I was talking about. So I really went and sort of did a lot of inner work with Neptune and a lot of bookshelf work with Neptune as well. Neptune to me is an extraordinary planet. It's a planet that is associated to the invisible world. We use the word mysticism, but it's the idea that there are invisible agencies that are at work in your life and invisible agencies that are at work in your own psyche. Now, sometimes this takes on a supernatural bent, but sometimes it takes on a more mysterious bent. It's one of those things that's just really hard to describe. One of the ways that I began to unlock Neptune for myself was really going back to the realm of the god that it's named after, which is the realm of the ocean. The ocean is an entirely separate realm from, from basically the surface world or, or the world that we live in. So where our regular life is uh, pretty much uh, dictated by our conscious minds, Neptune represents the unconscious mind, or to use a phrase from Carl Jung, the collective unconscious. It's the collective dreaming of the entire planet itself. And the way that we access this, the way that we access this is through Neptune. So with Neptune, coming out of retrograde, meaning moving direct or forward in the sky once again, what exactly does that mean? And I thought long and hard about it. And I was put in mind of when I was a kid growing up in the Bay Area, a frequent place that uh, we used to go on field trips and things like this was, was the beach, okay? And in Northern California, you have these extraordinary tide pools where you can sort of like go and clamber over the rocks and peer in and, and see what sea life is going on within the pool, which is enclosed by these, by these rocks. Of course, this was done when the tide was low. Uh, not a good idea if the tide was high. But anyway, when you had low tide, you could, you know, sort of maybe uh, reach over, or climb on these rocks, and you would look down into these uh, dried up pools, and you would see a lot of nothing. You would see a lot of sand, maybe some kelp, and some mounds on the rocks and things like that. So it didn't really look like much. And that I sort of likened to 
a Neptune retrograde. It's when the water has left or departed. Um, and, and so what you're left with is, is kind of like rocks and nubs and dried up seaweed. And basically what people would refer to, or astrologers would refer to as a disillusionment. But if you were a little bit more daring and the teacher wasn't looking, uh, you could sort of climb out on the rocks that were like a little further away that still had the water that was locked within their pools. And there, there you would see purple sea urchins. You would see these flowing strands of sea anemones, and you would see these multicolored barnacles. And it was just this world of splendor. It was this world of enchantment. Okay, it was a world where the pools were full of water. And that's kind of how a Neptune retrograde and a Neptune direct works. When a Neptune is retrograde, it sort of like pulls the tide or the water out of maybe your imaginings or maybe even your emotional life or or the things that you long long for uh, because Neptune is a planet that's connected to the things that you long for and then when Neptune goes direct again this water spills forward and so the things that are the creatures that have kind of hibernated or the creatures that have kind of closed in on themselves the heart that has hardened the imagination that doesn't feel particularly inspired and the hopes that just feel dismal and like an exercise in futility. When Neptune is direct again, it fills these pools and these basins again. So the hope springs up, the imagination is full of wonder and the heart and the heart opens to, to fuller capacities, capacities that are fuller and deeper than you know yourself to be capable of being. Now, sometimes Neptune has a bit of a bad rap. It's kind of like, well, don't be fooled into believing these illusions. Don't be fooled into following your hopes. Don't be fooled into an infatuation, all things that are connected to Neptune. And so there are some of us that are just like, I will not be be fooled by this and I will not walk down that path. And, you know, you get what you get out of that, which is sort of like looking at a bunch of dried out rocks with folded in uh, with old seaweed and folded in barnacles and, and things that aren't particularly shining. Or, or you can go through that, you can follow that Neptunian path and you can experience for yourself the magic and the enchantment. And a lot of times that magic and the enchantment can be hurt, uh, hearts can be broken, but somehow, somehow it was worth it and will always be. Now, one of the things that Neptune is connected to in an astrological chart is the depth of our emotional being, the, 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 the fullness of our emotional being. Uh, the moon used to, before Neptune was discovered, rule over all bodies of water, from bathtubs to oceans. Okay, nowadays the moon is more relegated to things like bathtubs and spas and pools, if you're talking about bodies of water, you know, ponds and, and things along those lines. And it's Neptune that's given the full, the full um, expansive, uh, unlimited range of, of the ocean. And so where the moon might be the planet that you tap into that you dream at night and or, or, or you have a dream and you try to piece it together in the morning. Neptune is your vision. It's your imagination. It's the things that you sort of like empty out 
and you can sort of see beyond the horizon of your day-to-day -day life. Okay, these things are Neptune, but Neptune is also connected to the deeper emotional uh, uh, capacities that exist in our psyche. And one of the things that Neptune is connected to is forgiveness. Yes, Neptune is connected to the idea of forgiveness. And when you think of forgiveness, when you really contemplate forgiveness, it seems like it's a pretty tall order. Uh, forgiveness is something that we're told we need to do towards someone or something that has harmed us. All right. And so you can have day to day uh, for forgivenesses, you know, where someone's like, oh, I'm sorry I bumped into you. And, and you're like, oh, that's okay. Or, or I beg your pardon, or no big deal. You know, those sort of easy forgivenesses are nice. They sort of like allow for the ongoing interactions and exchanges in our day to day life. Sometimes one can feel shamed into a forgiveness, uh, like someone has done something wrong or done you wrong. And before you can really get angry about it or, or voice, you know, your outrage, which you have a right to feel, the person makes it all about themselves. Oh, it was so wrong of me to do this. Oh, you know, I'm a horrible person. Oh, you know, and so the person goes on and on and on about what they did wrong and things like that. And, and, and finally, you're like, I forgive you, you know, it's like, get over, you know, like, I, I forgive you just to sort of bring an end of the, bring an end to the mea culpas, mea culpas, mea maxima culpas that's going on in front of you. Okay. And that's not really a true forgiveness because it was really all about, you know, making the other person feel better and getting you out of an awkward situation. But when you really sort of go into forgiveness, I think we can pretty much agree that there's a lot of pain in the world. There's a lot of trauma in the world. There's a lot of things that have been done wrong from people, by people, and to people uh, that's, that's going on in the world. And a lot of our responses these days are for like justice. You know, the, 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 I, I want justice. Something needs to be done. Something needs to be, you know, corrected. Something needs to be made right. And justice is its own idea, okay? And, and, and justice is right. The demand for justice and accountability, a recognition is, is right. And that's, and that's a good thing. But it's not the same thing as forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is, you know, something has been done wrong to you. Maybe the other person doesn't care. Let's, 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 maybe the other person doesn't even care about what has been done wrong to you. Um, and, and, and you carry this wound, you carry this pain inside of you. And what are you supposed to do with it? You know, what are you supposed to do with it? You can, you know, insist on justice, but what if you're not going to get justice? You know, you can insist on, on, on uh, someone being held uh, culpable or, 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 or uh, yes, yeah, someone, someone being, you know, held accountable for what they did. But what if that's not going to happen? You're living with this pain, you're living with this trauma, and, and you're charged with the idea, you're charged with how am I going to live with this in my life? One of the things that sort of comes to mind um, about forgiveness, um, and I always turn to sort of stories and experiences and things like that, 
one of the great things that comes to mind of, of, of an example of, of, of forgiveness is a ghost story. You know, in a ghost story, there's often, you know, a ghost which is uh, appearing in a house or revisiting a location. It's an apparition, which is very Neptunian, if you think about it. Every night at 12, the ghost shows up and mourns and bemoans and wakes everyone in the house and disturbs them. And then it retreats and leaves again. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness, what was that? Okay, what usually happens in classical ghost stories like this is that the ghost will keep returning until you've gone and, and, and solved the mystery, okay? Until you've gone and either excavated the bones or discovered the story that wasn't told or recognized this ghost's pain, okay? And once that happens, okay, then, 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 then it's said that you're able to bring peace to this lost soul. You're, you're able to bring peace to this, this, this um, hurt, this pain, this wound. And I think that in that sort of idea is also the notion of forgiveness. Forgiveness is going and excavating what had happened, not in a to prove myself, you know, because usually the ghost is haunting people that have nothing to do with what crime or, 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 or horrible thing was perpetrated on this ghost, okay? And so there's a sort of sense of history here of going back and excavating the bones and, 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 and telling the story that needs to be told. And in there, there's, there's, it's, it's a ritual of healing, but there's also a sense of forgiveness too. There's, there's an acknowledgement of the pain and the hurt and an attempt to sort of redeem or to reunify. And in some cases in a ghost story, you know, the older version of the person who had done the bad thing or, or a descendant comes back and recognizes the hurt. And so the, so things are, 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 are at peace, okay, laid to rest. Okay, so there's a forgiveness in that. It's a forgiveness in recognizing uh, what, what had happened. Another type of forgiveness is based on empathy and compassion. And I'm a big proponent of that forgiveness coming when you are at a place in your life where it comes naturally. And what I wanted to share with you uh, quickly here is, is a story from my own life or, or an experience from my own life. Me and my father had a horrible relationship when, when I was growing up. Um, and, and we pushed each other's buttons and we screamed at each other and, um, and, and just really the rows were, were awful. And, and I left home uh, at the age of 18. And about a year after having left home, my father passed away uh, from, from, a, from a heart attack. Um, and so we were never able to reconcile. And honestly, it was impossible to reconcile. I was 19, my father was set in my father's modes, and there was just no way that there was going to be a reconciliation. And I used to hold on to that. And, and, and I got a lot out of that sort of like, you know, he, and, and he did, he, he did hurt and wound me and, and, and all these, you know, we had a very difficult, irreconcilable relationship. But over the years, as the years passed by, and as I, my father uh, passed away when he was 47, and as I approached my mid-40s and the age of 47, what began to open up in my heart was an understanding of what he was going through, you know, why he was so angry and why he was so tempestuous. Now, I'm not talking about why, like, oh, I know the reason why, but a feeling for why 
if that makes any sort of sense. Um, I, I, you know, it was a time in my life when I also felt very under pressure, when I also felt very stressed out and, and very, you know, I mean, I didn't behave like him, thank goodness, but I felt like him and, and I got where he was coming from. Now, I didn't agree with it. It's not okay. It's still not okay. Okay. But, um, but I got it. I, 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 I really sort of uh, grokked where my dad was coming from. And as I began to really sort of, you know, realize or recognize that I was traveling down the same path that he had traveled, not the same path in terms of a course of action, but same time of life, you know, facing similar decisions and circumstances, there was this tremendous empathy and compassion that, that, that came forward. And, you know, they say, forgive and forget. And I think that that's not a good thing. You forgive and you remember. You remember yourself and you remember the person and you remember what it's like to be a person and you remember what it's like to face those circumstances, albeit the contexts and the consequences of those decisions may be different. And I found myself missing him tremendously and, and sort of longing for him and, and wishing, you know, that we could meet at this age, <laughs> you know, instead of an embattled 18 year old and a, you know, fraught uh, midlife crisis guy. Okay. I found myself wishing that we could meet at this age, but, but that's not going to happen. But in that Neptunian realm of the imagination, and that Neptunian realm of compassion and feeling, it does happen, you know, it, it, it does happen. And I felt just, you know, the things that I held on to just sort of slip off, uncoil, and just fade away, you know. And I had found a way of making peace for myself. And I hope in that sort of experience uh, my father finding peace as well. But what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when you're faced with something which is so unforgivable? Hmm? You know, something that, that, that stayed with me. Well, I'm going, hmm, something that really impacted me Okay, were the um, was the shooting that uh, took place um, at uh, Emmanuel uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church in 2015, um, and and you may know the story. It's a a, a kid shows up for uh, for a Bible session at, um, at at this church. It's 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 a it's a famously black church. African American church, and and there are other people who are attending this prayer meeting as well. And it's this white kid um, who you know shows up, and unbeknownst to the other uh, members of this uh, prayer group, he takes out a firearm and he and he open fires when their eyes are shut in prayer. In all, he fired off seventy seven shots and each victim was hit at least five times. Um, three people survived, and this kid's name is Dylan Roof, 
And he tells one of them that he's sparing her life uh, so that he, uh, she could tell everyone that uh, he was killing the people in this prayer group at this church because he hated black people. And then he flees. And we all remember that. I mean, it's, it's just one of those dates in the history of our country where you're just left, it, it's speechless and you're bereft and you're in horror and uh, you're in mourning. What do, you, what do you do with that unforgivable act of, of, of horror, you know, in one of the most religious of places, a place that's supposed to be sanctuary, but it's more than a sanctuary. It's a, you're welcome here too. You're welcome here to pray too, you know? And, and so it's a, it's a safe place, but it's also a welcoming to the outsider place. Always, oh, always welcoming. Now on the bond hearing, uh, which was held uh, on the day after Ruth's arrest, they, they arrest this kid and, and they bring him on in and, and they bring him to the court and there's going to be this bond hearing. I remember uh, opening up the newspaper and seeing an extraordinary sight. Um, it was the courthouse, it's the front of the courthouse. And there are these two court officers, you know, with sunglasses and, and, they're, and they're in their, uh, I, I don't think they're court officers, they're police officers, okay, sunglasses and they're in the police officer garb or whatever. And they're, and they're heavy set men and they look really, like bulldogs. I mean, they look really, you know, rough. And one of them is holding the door open to these two marvelous black women. Uh, one is a little taller than the other, and she's and, and and she's dressed in a sea green dress, okay, that goes down to her ankles. She's wearing sandals, a sea green dress. I mean, these officers are in their grays and their browns, and you see reflected in the windows of this court building, you know, cameras and cameramen, and they're all, you know, but she is dressed in this extraordinary sea green dress that reaches down to her ankles, and she's wearing sandals. And she has her arm wrapped around another black woman who's entering with her. And she is dressed in this extraordinary multicolored striped dress that just wraps around her entire body. And she is holding her arm around her friend's waist. So there's one who has her arm around the shoulders of, of, of her shorter companion and the other one has her arm around the waist, but they're dressed so vibrantly, you know? They're dressed so vibrantly and so magnificently and so colorfully as they enter this courthouse building. And what was so extraordinary about this uh, bond hearing that took place after the day of Dylan Roof's arrest was that I think many of the, the um, relatives of the victims, if not all of them, forgave him. They stood there 
you know, and, and I think he was talking on a closed circuit TV or something, just sort of not responding, you know, they, 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 they forgave, they forgave him. They said, I forgive you. Um, and when they were given an opportunity by the judge to speak to the killer, they spoke of the pain of never being able to see their loved ones again. Yet, yet they asked God to have mercy on this killer's soul. One of them even went so far as to say, quote, if at any point you are sentenced and you are in prison and you want me to come and pray with you, I will do that. And this was said by Sheila Capers, who was the sister-in-law of Cynthia Hurd, who was one of the victims. This is an extraordinary thing, this, this forgiveness. And what it also shows is that forgiveness isn't really an act, it's a process. Here, they were calling upon their faith. They were calling upon their church. They were calling upon a God that it was impossible to understand how this could happen under God's watch, under God's protection. But that's not what the questions were. The process was a process of forgiving. And through this forgiving, they were calling upon their souls and the collective soul of their church. And they were calling upon it, all of that to come forward and to forgive, all right, so that they aren't crushed by this. You know, they're not going to grow, their souls aren't going to rot from a hatred or from a contempt or from a fear or a bitterness. Now, I'm not saying that any of those people went home that night and said, okay, all is good. No, the, 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 that I, I can't even imagine the grief that they lived with then and are living with right now. But what they did is that they cast petals upon the waves of the waters. And these petals are their prayers. And they placed in these petals and they placed in these prayers, almost notes in the bottle to God. And what carries forth is a healing, mysterious, unknowable, unfathomable, but a healing, a healing that takes place for their community and a healing that also takes place for their history and doing it for their community, their church, and doing it for their history, the history of their church. They also performed it collectively. They performed it collectively for all of us as a nation and a people and a world. And those are the things that I want you to hold in your heart and in your soul as Neptune comes out of retrograde on December 1st. 
Hey there, it's Amanda here, the founder of Astrology Hub, and I'd like to invite you to join me and 12 top astrologers for our sixth annual free 2022 forecast panel event happening this December 8th and 9th. And with the USA's Pluto return, the nodal access shift, the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction in Pisces, and some other really key transits happening next year, it would be ideal to get the astrological weather forecast early so you can be prepared for what's ahead. You'll hear expert astrological insights from astrologers like Achuta Bhava, Adam Summer, Stormy Grace, Gary Caton, Michael Bryan, Christopher Renstrom, Jen Zart, and more. The event is free and will be taking place on December 8th and 9th, 2021. If you can't join us live or for the full event, make sure you register so we know to send you the limited time recordings. To reserve your spot, register today at astrologyhub.com slash forecast panel. We hope to see you there.